Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters Radio. This is Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by Dr. Daniel Monti, uh, MD, who's written a book with Anthony Bazan called Tapestry of Health, uh, weaving uh, wellness to your uh, life through the new science of integrative medicine. So this is a very promising title. And of course, in today's world that we're struggling with the COVID, um, there's a lot of focus on healthcare than in, in what might otherwise times not be quite so much focus. So uh, this is a you you know a time when people are really paying attention to what what it takes to to maintain wellness and and to have a a good life, hopefully as long as possible. Uh, so, Dr. Monty, maybe we'll start with. Um, uh, just a, a brief discussion from you about how you got into medicine to begin with. What what took you there? I uh, appreciate that. And and thanks so much for having me on your show today. Um, I, I really look forward to having this conversation with you because, as you were saying, the, the topic is so timely. And integrative medicine, which is kind of an evolving field that I've been pushing to help develop and, and evolve in, in an academic institution and in academic medicine, I think it's really important because it fills a gap when it comes to wellness, resilience, healthfulness. We have great medicine in the United States, and um, nobody can deny that uh, people come from all over the world to learn our surgical techniques and uh, our, our advanced technologies for devices and even pharmaceuticals, but what we're not great at is keeping people well and also um, increasing uh, level of wellness and healthfulness in people who have some illness. And that's really where integrative medicine comes in. And that's why we wrote the book, Tapestry of Health, because it reflects what we've been building at Thomas Jefferson University's Marcus Institute of Integrative Health for the last 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. Well, we see that... Uh You've the, the uh, Bernie Marcus, the uh, the Home Depot guy, was quite uh, f fond of your idea and came originally came up with twenty five million dollars to start the integrative medicine projects, and then of course more recently, as of February uh, two thousand nineteen, added another twenty million to gr to grant funding to create the academic department. So tell us about kind of how you got connected to um, Bernie Marcus and kind of how did, what made that happen? Yeah, that's, that's sort of a great story because, um, you know, you can't really solicit um, the Marcus Foundation. It's a, a private foundation, and they decide the types of things that they want to fund. Right. And uh, one day I got a call about 10 years ago, and uh, it was from their medical director who said, you know, we're – we're looking for somebody to do a study on intravenous vitamin C. 
And we spoke to the National Institutes of Health. The person we talked to gave us you as a name because I happened to um, do some research in that area, and I, I had an IND to study vitamin C. That's, IND is short for Investigational uh, New Drug License. And so um, I was in a good position, too, and they said, you know, would, if we have funding, is that something, you know, you'd like to do for us? And I said, sure. And through that initial project, which was a successful project, I got to know the foundation, and uh, Mr. Marcus himself is still very involved um, in that foundation and, um, and uh, determining the direction of some of the things that they fund, which is really a diverse portfolio. They, they built the uh, Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta, which is beautiful, and so they do big community service things, but there, there's also an interest in integrative medicine because they recognize, just like I sort of led with, that there's that there's places, there's, there's gaps, there's, there's gray zones in the medical model where we could add value by looking at other approaches and testing those approaches. And so the foundation was very um, interested in having a partner who would want to not only further develop the model of integrative care, but test it as well. And so that's how it all happened, and it's been a great journey. And the investment has been, you know, tremendous because it allowed us create at Thomas Jefferson University the first ever department of integrative medicine and nutritional sciences at a conventional medical school. Mm-hmm. So now at my medical school, there's all of the clinical departments, uh, surgery, OBGYN, dermatology, etc., and now also integrative medicine and nutritional sciences. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are we forgetting Andy Weil at the University of Arizona? Um, not forgetting him at all. I think that uh, he did a lot of terrific things uh, to develop integrative medicine as well. He created the first uh, fellowship program that many people uh, went through. Some of the people who are on our faculty at Jefferson been training with him, um, and he uh, he was he was one of the early pioneers and one of the people that. Um, um, you know, I know well, I actually, you know, wrote a textbook that's part of the Wild textbook series. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, he's somebody who's, uh, who's been a great partner and friend over the years. Well, I guess the reason I put it that way was it, it, you, you, this, this was the first integrative medicine program in a medical school. I, I guess I believe... Department. A department. It's I, the first department. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Well, I was, I was, just, I was just curious about that, that declaration. So... Um, it is the first. Uh, Andrew Wilde, they have a center, but they don't have a department. Ah, we made a historic uh, okay, first okay, move okay. last year by creating an actual department that fits alongside the other departments. I'm a department chair, right. um, along with the chair of, as I was saying, medicine, surgery, dermatology, OBGYN. That exists nowhere else in the country, including the University of Arizona, where Dr. Wilde is, although he's done tremendously good things. Right. Okay. I, anyway... I, so now you, you've been in, involved in psychiatry, I understand. Originally, yeah. Right, right, right. And so now you also, you were a part of the, yeah, I see here now. So now you've done some work on, NAC, uh, on NAC, N-acetylcysteine, so, yeah. and, and, and things like that. So that kind of gives you some, some authority in that area. And, and Dr. Bazan has been connected to Jeff Bland at the Functional Medicine Institute, and so you've, you've apparently brought some of those things together. So 
let's yeah. talk. Let's move into the book itself and talk yeah. about the the you call you call weaving. And by the way, I I really appreciate. There's a kind of efficiency in your book. There's a you, you're taking the topic of integrative medicine. You're breaking it into very digestible parts in a way that makes it possible to embrace. Uh, different pieces of it so that you can see them they, they can stand they don't they don't stand alone but they stand together but but uh, so that the tapestry image is it works for me let's just just say it simply that way so medicine is 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 largely it was based on a disease model basis of course we recognize that that is something that you have tried to move beyond so talk yeah. about talk about what that really means for the for the for the medical student on one level, so like, uh, and that must be a huge adjustment, I would think, for medical med medical students. I mean, I went to medical school, and nobody talked about integrative health when I went went to medical school. I can tell you, and uh, and even right. and, and, and and even though one of my professors was a probably a woman, you you may even know Marion Nessel. She's a quite a famous author. She's she's at NYU now. She writes a lot about yeah. she write, writes a lot about nutrition. Well, she was my she was my nu nutritional professor at UCSF Medical School, and it, and she, even she at that time, this was back in the seventies, she um, she didn't believe that that clinical med nutrition was really a therapeutic direction. I'm 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 judging I'm I'm fudging a little bit. I'm not quite sure I could put words in her mouth that way. But she was very skeptical of the ability of of nutritional therapy to provide sound clinical outcomes. And, and she herself had been somebody who had been on Dr. I'm blanking at his name, the, the Surgeon General who put out the, uh, the guidelines. But at any rate, um, you, of course, have, things, of course, have moved on since then. And so let's talk about how it is or what it is that you bring to the table vis-a-vis -vis the nutritional science area. So talk about your own sort of experience in nutritional, the, the, the potentials of nutritional therapy and the and how it how it's a cornerstone of what you've done at the Marcus Institute. Great, thank you for that. Uh, because you know you 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 mentioned there something that I really resonate with. I remember in medical school the nutrition module was nutritional deficiencies. Right. So you have so little vitamin C that you have scurvy, right. or so <laughs> little vitamin D that you have rickets. Right, and so there's de deficiency states that lead to disease. But what about nutrition as a tool for wellness and right. as a tool for preventing diseases right. beyond those? For example, there's all the metabolic diseases now that are an epidemic in this country, such as type two diabetes and uh, all of the downstream effects of um, weight issues and having metabolic syndrome. What about nutrition for those kinds of things? And what is the best nutritional guidance? And also then, when we look at specific nutrients, where is the data in terms of healthfulness? And, and we know that a certain amount of vitamin D is needed to prevent disease states, like we said, rickets, but what is a healthy level of vitamin D so that we have an optimal amount for bones, for other uh, purposes, the junctions in the gut, immune function, the kinds of cofactors that vitamin D 
is involved with. And so I think that that's really where the gap has been in medical education. And in terms of the medical students, what I'm finding with today's medical students, with this generation of medical students, is that they get this, they get that nutrition is important, and they're hungry to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. We actually have medical students who choose Jefferson because they want to actually spend time with us in the Department of Integrative Medicine. And we just started a fellowship program of our own that allows people to sit for the relatively new board that the American uh, Board of uh, Medical Specialties has. And for next year's um, slots, we're, over, we're overwhelmed with applicants, really great applicants, people who want to learn more, they're thirsty to learn more. So today's generation of doctors is different. And I think that there's an open-mindedness that wasn't there because there was a there was a, a certain mindset about nutrition. You need just enough, and uh, the focus is prevention of those diseases of deficiencies versus how do we make this human organism function at its best. Right. And that's really the core of functional medicine. You know, how do you make us a more functional human being? And that's really been a big focus of ours in integrative medicine. And so we approach that academically for medical students, but in terms of, um, you know, the book, as you mentioned, what we try to do is distill the science, review the science, but in a way that's reader-friendly and say, here's what the science tells us. Here's what the science tells us about the best way to eat, to have optimal resilience. Here's what the science tells us about individual nutrients. Here's where there's a gap. Here's where our clinical experience shows us other things. Because right now, this is a stressful world, and it's a world where we need to be as resilient as possible. And I think that the timing for when the book came out was more perfect than I could have ever imagined, because for, for me, it's a roadmap of how are you your most resilient you. And we cover all of the dimensions of health and wellness that are just so important, from diet and nutrition to sleep hygiene uh, to how much you're moving around, um, and I think that um, to hormonal balance and emotional health and stress and stress reduction, because all of these things affect genetic expression, they affect how resilient you're going to be, and so what tools work, what are the best tools, and where do you start? Mm -hmm. And I often tell people, don't be all or nothing. You know, if you pick up a book like Tapestry of Health or another book, um, that is, is talking about some of these principles, start wherever you're drawn to because everything we do takes us to another, uh, takes us another step closer to the next level of health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, there, there's such a positive, there's such a positive sort of proactive uh, attitude that this book has. And it's uh, really uh, all the way through the book, you can feel that you're, you're looking at the the the, pro, the proliferation of wellness in a in a way that that now the, what's happened because I've I've been involved in this work since uh, in the late '60s and so wow. I've I, so I've been around and watched lots of cycles of things kind of pass through and and the a lot of the sort of wellness revolution. Um, was uh, fad based. A lot of it was um, uh, positive, but without a lot of legs. Sometimes it, it was just it was sort of 
wishful thinking, so to speak, and so on. And what, 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 this, what this book does, I think for me, in an efficient and, a, in, and organized way, it gives the reader, the, the lay reader, a chance to look at the world of integrative medicine in a how-to-do-it kind of way. Uh, and and it's, there's quite a lot of sort of doctrines that you have. It seems to me, and one of the things I wanted to ask, as, as I kept reading this book, I kept thinking to myself, uh, where where is your what where is your spiritual base? I mean, is this does this some does this at all come from any kind of uh, generalized religious orientation at all, or no? Oh, so I'll I'll answer it both in terms of what we approach in the book, and then me personally, which is what you might be asking. Okay, because the spiritual component of our lives is important. It's part of our health. Right, we are a biopsychosocial spiritual being. Right. And so what spirituality really means in a generic sense is connecting to that which has meaning outside of ourselves. And for some people that's religious. For some people it's something else. Right. But we have to find a core. We have to find that spiritual core within ourselves through whatever mechanism makes sense. Because what we found in our studies, and in the middle of the book, you probably notice we have these glossy um, pictures of right. the brain imaging that we do in our studies, because we have this great brain imaging equipment, thanks to the Marcus Foundation. And we see that when people connect to their spiritual selves, the brain changes. Mm -hmm. The brain talks to itself differently. It connects with itself differently. And we've studied that in both religious uh, groups, like people who are praying, people who are doing um, more secular meditation. So they're doing meditation practices where they're breathing and they're focusing their attention. That changes the brain because they find some people find their spiritual core there. And we suspect that actually from another study we did on creativity, that it happens even if you connect to your spiritual self through some creative expression. And that could be art, music, or whatever it might be. But finding that spiritual core of yourself and finding an outlet for it, or several outlets for it, you know, because we're multidimensional beings, you know, sometimes I like to connect to music, sometimes I like to connect to meditation, but finding that as part of your daily life and making it an important priority in your daily life will change your brain and change your health. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're sure of it. Right. Well, I guess that what I was curious about also was, I mean, what you, you kind of gave me part of the answer. The other part is, I guess, that, I, guess that I felt that there was I, was, I thought as I was reading this, I thought I was reading, there was a sort of a doctrinal kind of quality to it to the way you're presenting this, because, uh, I can't say because, it just, just, it just that's the way it read to me, but I guess what you're saying is is that just the, the goals that you have have shaped the doctrines that you've written about, so it doesn't have to necessarily be, be connected to any sort of standardized uh, for, format of, 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 of religious or, or, the, or spiritual expression. You're, you're saying it's a, it's a more of a generic type rather than a general, that one that's identifiable. Yes. I mean, for me personally, you know, I grew up with some religious tradition, but then I was attracted to the Buddhist principles. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. um, I went to India a couple of times. Uh -huh. And um, 
sat with uh, one of the gurus who goes by Ama as a name. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I practiced, um, you know, Qigong through Falun Gong and things like that. But okay. these were things, these were ways that I tried to connect with my own sort of spiritual core. I think that everybody finds their path and their journey. What we see is that when you do it, when you take the time to sort of do it in whatever path makes sense to you, that it makes a big difference. Now, for us, at, uh, in our department and at the Marcus Institute, we have programs that have been shown to be very effective. Like we, we rely a lot on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness-based stress reduction is a very systematized and well-studied, um, standardized program. And we find that when people go through that eight-week program, it can be transformative and that they feel better, they think better, their brain scans look better, they do better. Right. That's that's kind of what I was getting at. We're talking to Dr. Daniel uh, Monti. He's the uh, founder and director of the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. Please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Welcome back to Health Matter. Dr. Ned Hoke today joined by Dr. Daniel Monti of the uh, Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. And we're talking about his new book, The Tapestry of Health. It's a, a wonderful new book that in a very efficient way, for me anyway, and I've, like I say, I've been in this field a long time, and I've looked at a lot of different uh, presentations of this topic, and I can't say that I've ever seen one that's been more efficient and sort of to the point. And at the same time, it's, it's, not, um, it's, not, it's not just do this, do that, but it's really also telling the story of how to how to work on and, and sort of work on achieving uh, a better level of, of wellness and, and, and health and well-being. So, you one of the things that I liked particularly was in terms of weaving the hormonal balance. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people um, they've heard a lot about that, and there's been a lot of public discussion about hormones and what hormones should or could do and maybe might do. And there's also a lot of fear about hormones. So maybe you could start with just for that particular section. Uh, tell us a little bit about your hormone balancing program and kind of how it is that people could actually use that information. Yeah, great. Thank, thanks for that. And I, and I appreciate the, 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 the positive uh, feedback on, on, on the book that really was our goal was to have something that could be High, high usefulness for the reader um, while providing the, the, the scientific background for the why. And hormones, as you said, is um, a very confusing topic for people. It's sort of like um, uh, fat is. You know? right. <laughs> we can talk about that next. But, um, but hormones it has, has been a very uh, debated issue, too, because there's different forms of them, and that gets lost in the discussion. So when we're talking about, there's all kinds of hormones, you know, and and many people are dealing with thyroid hormone issues once they hit the middle decades of life. But what this chapter is referring more specifically to are those circulating sex hormones, which for some people are never an issue and for some people can cause big problems. So when women reach those perimenopausal and menopausal years, that decline in um, estrogen, progesterone, and to a smaller degree, testosterone, can create a lot of symptoms, a lot of discomfort, and a lot of imbalances. Right. Everything that we do, so whether or not we're supplementing the hormones or not, it's within the context of this integrative model. 
So we we never do, for example, hormone supplementation or hormone hormone replacement, you know, in a silo without looking at the whole rest of the person because sometimes when hormones are just off a little bit, some of the other aspects of the that you'll read about in Tapestry of Health can balance them. So the adrenal gland, for example, which has a, a small role in balancing circulating sex hormones, if it's overstressed and people aren't coping with stress very well, then it can't do that job. And there have been studies to show, and we've shown it in our clinic as well, that for some women and men, we'll get to men in a minute and, um, with, with, with the decline that they have, but some women and men, by balancing stress and letting the adrenal gland do its job, that can be enough to just ease some of those symptoms. But sometimes it's not enough. But um, uh, it, when you sort of layer that, with some of the dietary things we talk about that can balance hormones, sometimes that combination and making sure that people's activity level is high, sometimes that combination, and then decreasing inflammation in the system and making sure sleep is good, that combination. But then sometimes all of that helps, but it's not enough. And then we think about what, what is our approach going to be? First of all, we use bioidentical hormones when we do replace hormones. That makes a difference. In studies that showed a carcinogenic effect for women, that was mostly seen in synthetic progestins. So a synthetic form of progesterone, which naturally occurs in the body. Oral progesterone, for example, has not shown to have that effect. So women who are menopausal, they also, um, in addition to uncomfortable symptoms like uh, hot flashes, changes in libido, vaginal dryness, they can also have bone health problems, which can be very debilitating. And by balancing the hormones, you can actually slow or even reverse that process. Um, And sometimes you you do that with the other um, bone medications, and sometimes you don't even need the other bone medications. And, And that's why it's so important to take this whole person approach to hormones and hormonal decline. For men, we're simpler creatures. It's just the one. Uh, it's testosterone. And, and some men weather that pretty well. Uh, the decline is gradual. They adapt to it, but sometimes it's precipitous, and they really feel the effects of it. And it affects everything from moon, mood to uh, lean muscle mass and so on. I had a patient, and I may have talked about in the book in, in in, in one of uh, the, the many cases that we talk about, who came in a, a few years ago and his family doctor put him on an antidepressant because he was starting to feel depressed and it was getting worse and nothing really happened or changed in his life for that depression to occur, but sometimes depression just happens. But he also, the depression was really a lot of physical symptoms too. He felt tired, fatigued. He felt like he didn't have the oomph that he had before. He was having difficulty with weight that he never had before. And he kind of had the blahs. So I said, all right, well, let's just kind of check some of the things that uh, maybe didn't happen in your primary care appointment. And so we looked at his hormones closely. And his testosterone had gone down to almost nothing. It was like that of a 90-year-old man. 
And so for him, we said, let's see if that's going to make a difference, along with the other things that we do in the tapestry of health and in our practice. And for him, the lights came back on. He didn't need the antidepressant because what he needed was a little bit of testosterone because that had decreased way too quickly for him. And his body wasn't accommodating to it. His mind wasn't accommodating to it. And his body just needed some. Now, he probably did some things behaviorally that contributed to that decline. Um, but I couldn't get it to sort of jumpstart enough through the lifestyle things, even though they helped a little bit. And we needed to also add some of that bioidentical testosterone. And for him, his quality of life is just so much different. You know, he feels like he did 10 years ago. And he's functional again. I mean, the whole point of our approach, the whole point of, of being in medicine is to get people feeling better than they were. Mm -hmm. And so in a disease model in conventional medicine, you know, that's putting out the fires. You know, uh, you, you, you present to the doctor, I've got this fire going on. For us in integrative medicine, it's preventing the fires. Or if there's a slow burning something that... Um, that uh, there isn't a great solution for in conventional medicine, what can we do to sort of reverse that or at least give you an edge to get you to a better level of wellness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate that, and I, I think what our listeners may uh, not realize, of course, is that <clears throat> hormones are you're useful and they are uh, not so frightening. And I, interesting, I was just, <laughs> just, just yesterday I was listening to a... A presentation by a, a pharmacist, uh, 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 and he was talking about how how terrified people often are when they confront the issue of hormones. And of course, what I liked about your chapter was that it took it a step by step by step by step, and it and while it re recognized the the reality of the hormone situation, it saw it in its larger pack. Started in its larger package, in, its, in, in how it's connected to. It isn't just one hormone. It isn't just testosterone, but it's also thyroid. It's also adrenal glands. It's also the way the hormones talk to each other. It's the, it's the functioning of the liver, et cetera, et cetera. So these are things that are difficult for a lot of times ordinary folks who they don't they're not familiar with medicine to, to kind of come to grips with. But at the same time, the way your book does it, you take it you take us gently, sort of step by step through. So we can uh, <clears throat> kind of come to a more rational understanding. So let's let's turn over to the sleep hygiene story, or sleep, not just hygiene part, but let's talk about what your integrative medicine world does in the sleep area. Can can you can you just sort of just generally talk about that for us? Yeah, and you know that word hygiene, we we borrow it from the sleep doctors. They love to use it, but then people are confused <laughs> by it. What does right. that mean? You know? Right, right. It really means sleep habits, right? right. So we need to. You know, we're, a lot of people, their, their lives have changed in the past few months. And so they're at home all the time. And some of the boundaries between work and home and when you go to bed and when you wake up have gotten lost. And this has led to worse sleep habits where you don't have a consistent time you're going to bed anymore, a consistent time that you're waking up. But, you know, your body does need those things because we want to kind of keep in sync with our biorhythms. So for us, it's so important to have consistent, restful sleep where you go through the different stages of sleep throughout the night and your body has that time to restore and recuperate. Because during sleep, 
is when you best do that. It's when the restoration, recuperation part of the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, gets to have its most powerful time. And when we don't sleep well because of bad habits that have settled in given the times or for whatever reason, then we pay a price for that in our overall healthfulness, in our energy level, and how we function, how we think, and how well we thrive. It's so important. For many people, just having a schedule makes a big difference. So when sleep starts to get off kilter and people are realizing, I'm not feeling as restful as I did before, the first thing I like to do is just go over, well, what is the sleep schedule? And is there that kind of consistency? The body likes that kind of consistency. And then secondly, we look at what is the environment that you're going to bed in? Again, with everything going on, things sort of blur between home and work and whatnot, but the bedroom really should be your nighttime sanctuary. There shouldn't be um, extra light, ambient light from televisions, computer screens, smartphones, because all of those things affect melatonin production and, and also uh, they're stimulating so that they affect how well you stay and, and sleep and are able to go into deep sleep. So for us, it's really important that we think about what is it like in my bedroom when I go to bed at night? Is it a restful place? It actually makes a difference to make it tidy, inviting, so it's a place you want to walk into. Sometimes it might make sense to burn a candle for a little while, to make it smell nice, to make sure that you make your bed, even if you do it right before you go to bed, so it feels comfortable and crisp to go into. These things sort of help you slip into a restful state of sleep. Sometimes we recommend apps that people listen to at night, such a mindfulness app or some other type of meditation or soothing music that, again, helps you to calm the mind, stop thinking about the day, create that boundary between rest time and work and everything else in life so that you can have that restful sleep. Mm -hmm. And when those things aren't quite enough, then we take it to the next level and we talk about things that might make sense, everything from adding melatonin at night to, in severe cases, temporary use of medication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, with many, of course, with, in today's world with the COVID so active and terrifying the living bejesus out of everybody in all directions, uh, this is, sleep is, of course, <laughs> is, it was one of the yeah. most important restorative options that we have and and uh it's in in in, in uh, it's just the number of people who have sleep disturbances in today's world are, are are vast so what you say is the carefulness that you put out in, in this book and you've just mentioned on the on the air here these are the things that it, that we find that are are in fact very meaningful and very helpful so uh thank you for that so let's let's move on to speaking of covid and and kind of how you as a as integrative facility and function and so on, how are you folks dealing with COVID at your facility? And, and how are you making special uh, environments to 
protect yourselves and protect the people that you love. Great. I, there, there's a couple of things relevant to COVID that we're thinking about right now. One thing that I think has the potential for high excitement, because if it can help people, then that's something to, for me to get excited about. It's the thing that keeps me going every day. Right. Is that we started a clinical trial in the hospital. So we're part of an academic health system, Thomas Jefferson University. And so the hospital, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, has large inpatient unit, and we have then several partner hospitals throughout the region. Um, we earlier in the year got IRB approval, and the study is listed on grants.gov mm-hmm. to um, study if the effects of intravenous vitamin C in uh-huh. hospitalized COVID patients. Ah, you were, you're good. Okay, that's great. I'm interested. Yeah, keep going. I mean, that's a, 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 <laughs> a, a very interesting uh, interesting option. So tell, keep going. Forgive me for interrupting. That's fine. So people who get admitted to the hospital but who don't yet need the intensive care unit where um, and who are willing to be in the study are randomized to usual care or usual care plus high-dose vitamin C infusions. Right. Because we think that the vitamin C infusions could potentially give people an edge so that they get out of the hospital quicker and don't progress to needing to go to the ICU. Right. We're about two-thirds of the way through our study. We expect in about another month we'll be done and we'll have data. So check back with me. Maybe I'll have uh, an update on this. We're not allowed to sort of break the data set yet because we're following strict. Uh, research protocol. Okay. But essentially, this is, you know, when it's done in the kind of environment we're doing it in, it's a relatively low-risk intervention. Mm. And also, vitamin C, when you infuse it, it has a drug-like effect. Mm. And we think that it's stimulating lymphocytes and and the immune system in a way to kind of, we'll say, jumpstart it so that people can have the immune response that they need and maybe avoid the immune response that isn't helpful, such as cytokine storm. Right. And so we're very happy that we can do this kind of research. And again, it's, 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 a, it's an opportunity for us to study an, a nutrient that can be used as a pharmaceutical when you do it in this kind of a way. Right. We've looked at vitamin C in other clinical trials, as I mentioned, early on. Mm -hmm. In terms of our outpatient facilities at the Marcus Institute, we we follow the hospital's guidelines for COVID safety, and uh, there's plexiglass everywhere. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, when people come in for an appointment, our physicians have a mask, a face shield, gloves, a gown. Um, But, you know, there's people who still need to see us face to face. Um, and, And so we take care of people if they need to come in. And we have outpatient micronutrient infusions for people who need them or who are on one of our clinical trials that are outpatient clinical trials, such as the NAC one, the N-acetylcysteine one that you mentioned. And um, so we're doing all of the things that are important for uh, COVID protection. And when we can do telehealth, we do that as well. In fact, that's probably more than half of, of our visits uh, currently. But there's just certain things that, you know, require us to help people with. So we're available for them for, you know, as long as we're, we're able to be. And we follow that what the health system uh, has as guidelines for um, 
for COVID protection because we are part of a larger academic health center. Right, right. Though, so you're you're in Philadelphia, is that correct? Yes. Right. So, you're also in the land of what used to be the where Hahnemann had his school, as I, <laughs> if I if I remember correctly, was the the, yeah. the 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 famous homeopath. So, speaking of integrative medicine, uh, is there any place in your integrative medicine for any kind of considerations of homeopathy? Yeah, so homeopathy is not um, a specialty of mine, but I think that it does have its place. Um, we cover homeopathy, for example, in um, uh, you know the textbook that I mentioned, and we're working on um, an integrative medicine textbook where we will as well. We do have um, a physician that works with us, uh, actually two, but one in particular who was uh, the recent president of the American Homeopathic Association. Mm -hmm. So, again, in an integrative model where you're practicing good medicine but then thinking about what could add value, sometimes homeopathy, particularly in people who are highly sensitive, can be um, a tremendous um, uh, addition to the to the treatment plan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's 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 there on the table. It's not hidden hidden from view. Nope. <laughs> it's right out there. All right, all right, <laughs> all right. Well, you you one of the, this book does go through to to get back to substances to CoQ10 and things like that. You you yeah. you you give you give a fairly nice review of many of the things that are you consider important, and you you build a case for. A, 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 a lifestyle of living and 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 I hope our listeners who anybody chooses to buy the book and read it more carefully uh, will see the very very definite plan that you have laid out here in, in nutritional support so one of the things that kind of comes with integrative medicine also is some discussion of modern life and toxicity so in a, just a brief way to share with our listeners kind of how you and your institution think of that and, and how significant is that a factor to either from training point of view or for therapeutics? It, it's very important and it's an important part of what we train our fellows in terms of diagnostic assessments and some of the things that you have to look for. My co-author, Dr. Bazan, actually has a, a, a reputation, I'd say a national reputation for medical mysteries, um, and oftentimes he finds toxicities when mm -hmm. people come in with very difficult to explain or understand set of symptoms because we live in a rather toxic world. Uh, very often uh, we'll find things like heavy metals that are causing problems for people, even neurological problems. And uh, he does a lot of advanced toxicity testing on people where there's a suspicion that the problem is a, is a toxicity versus an infectious disease or something else like that. So it is an important part of our assessment model and the, the diagnostic procedures that we use. We teach those to our medical students and to our fellows and other people who are learning from us. Well, we're ha I'm happy to hear that because, of course, again, looking back at my own medical training, the idea of toxicity was 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 remote, basically, and and it was right. and of course, in today's modern with the instrumentation that we have, we can we can measure an amazing amount of different kinds of 
uh, uh, toxic things and also that are not necessarily toxins individually but 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 collaboratively if you look broadly across the big picture of things the 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 the, the signs and symptoms show if they add up to toxicity even though there's not a particularly singular element but the consequences and of course one of the things that you do so well in this book is you discuss the issue of leaky gut syndrome and all that and yeah. how and the toxicity that that creates inwardly so this is a, a very very useful simple small book it's not a huge book and so one of the things that I again I liked about it was the spareness of it the relative spareness and, and yet you it's got it's got enough heft to it in terms of its content so that a person could pick it up and start to do some transformative work for their health and wellness and really have some some true and useful guidance. So, Dr. Monty, it was a pleasure to have you on Health Matters today. We're so grateful you took the time for us, and I, we wish you uh, wellness and stay stay safe with all this crazy world that we're in. Dr. Hope, I so much appreciate the opportunity, and thanks for all you do to keep the, the public healthy and well, and stay well yourself. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care now. You too. Bye-bye.